This is Voices with Vision, bringing you news and analysis. It's about cutting-edge social justice issues by mixing various voices and ideas with information, cultural expressions, and commentary. Voices with Vision airs every Tuesday on your jazz and justice station, WPFW. You're tuned in to member-supported WPFW Washington. Greetings and salutations, world. You're, this is the tw- February 27th, 2024 edition of Voices with Vision. Our, our eternal gratitude goes out to everyone who supported Voices with Vision and, and the station during the winter fun drive. My name is Nefer Freeman here with my fellow co-host, co-producer, partner in crime, all that stuff. Brother Craig, what's happening, Brother Craig? What's going on? Well, good morning, Nefa. Good morning to our listeners, our podcast subscribers. And again, also like to reiterate and say a big thank you to our supporters, our listeners uh, of the show, of the station as well. And uh, we are still in African History Month. And uh, just a few days after the birthday of W.E.B. Du Bois, if you don't know about W.B. Du Bois, if children don't know about W.B. Du Bois, take a deep dive and a deep look into that uh, long-living great Pan-Africanist who, uh, in the end, uh, died in Ghana, you know, working with Kwame Nkrumah. Yeah, and you know, he's got some some very, uh, what I call essential works out there, Um, essential books and things readings and just all of you know Du Bois work in his life is essential but he's not the only one I think those of us who want to you know uh, uh, realize the weapon uh, that history is a weapon of the oppressed and what Malcolm said that um, history is best qualified to reward all research then all this stuff is very important vital for those of us who want to get free <clears throat> well, it was a very interesting um Democracy Now! interview that we just heard it was about uh, the elections with was um, that was um, Ralph Nader. Yeah, Ralph and Nader. so we, yeah, we're going to bring you, going to kick the show off. We got a good show for you. We've got some stuff you probably hadn't heard about going on with Cuba and Africa and just other things. But we want to kick it off with Mumia. Mumia's still not doing well, but he does have a latest commentary that that actually falls right into what um, uh, what Ralph Nader was talking about. But, you know, with, with Mumia's way. <clears throat> so we're going to get right to it. For all our political prisoners, our freedom fighters behind prison walls. What's the call? Freedom Free all. all. politics of performance. What can be more frustrating than observing what politicians do or say? Like soap operas, we often see them giving a performance, in essence acting, and saying things that they really don't believe. This is especially so in this era of social media and when cable channels provide access to special isolated audiences. It may be true that we see and hear them, but in truth, they are strangers to us. They are often motivated by money, donated by those special audience energy, but more often by fear, seen with remarkable clarity by the case of former U.S. President Donald Trump and his menacing minions. Trump may not effectively get people elected, but he can drive someone out from a primary election. For fear of him, politicians bow and scrape and beg. 
Like peasants before their lords, they serve their political master as if their political lives depended on his favor. They offer a false yet false-sounding praise of him while snickering behind his back. Rarely has performance been so servile. And as their affections are false, so too are their hatreds, which are but more performances played with bared teeth. Yet, as Alexis de Tocqueville noted over almost 200 years ago, when it comes to political parties, their antipathy is all too real. De Tocqueville, who visited America in the 1830s, wrote as follows. The parties by which the union is menaced do not rest upon abstract principles, but upon temporal interests. These interests, disseminated in the provinces of so vast an empire, may be said to constitute rival nations rather than parties. Alexis de Tocqueville, Democracy in America. With love, not fear. This is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Prison Radio. Yeah, so that was Mumia on political performance. <clears throat> and so as all these politicians are going around posturing and getting us all, you know, riled up to to participate in their fiasco called a political election. I know some young women listen to me and say, well, it's very important. Nah, nah, nah. Well, what's more important is that we change this system so that we're not just, <clears throat> you know, beholden or, or just stuck doing the same thing and supporting the, the, the oligarchy and what what uh, what uh, Nader referred to as a duopoly. So I don't know, you know, Mumia's commentary was more focused on Trump and what Trump is, you know, what he brings to the table and what ha- the, the kind of confusion he causes into it. But, you know, we got to do something. I think we got to do something else. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. People can actually get ready to wait in the second half of the show but before that there's some news that you may not have heard anything about that brother craig did an interview about um you've heard us talk about the drone the u.s drone operations in africa um and their most pointed you know operations or you know intensified attacks and stuff being in somalia and also on the kenya somalia border um that's you know and and you've heard us talk about cuba and their selfless missions, medical brigades going around the world um, and <clears throat> unconditionally helping folks. And so, unfortunately, those two things have collided where two Cuban doctors are suspected of having been killed in drone strikes, U.S. AFRICOM drone strikes. And so we're going to we're going to get into that. And, uh, and, and brother, uh, brother Craig has interviewed uh, somebody about that. So let's get let's get right into it. Um, Joshua, the piece with Joshua Reeves. As part of Cuba's internationalism, Cuba has a program of sending doctors to poor countries that have inadequate medical services and has done so for decades, sending hundreds of thousands of health workers to many countries around the world. Included in those countries is Kenya, where two Cuban doctors, Dr. Asel Herrera, and general, uh, a general medicine specialist, and Dr. Lanny Rodriguez, a surgeon, were working before being kidnapped in April 2019 and then held in Somalia. Now, on Thursday, February 15th, the U.S. launched a drone strike against what it claims to be an al-Shabaab target and is suspected of killing those two Cuban doctors, although their deaths have not been confirmed. So here to talk to us about this situation specifically and also the broader consequences of AFRICOM in Africa 
is Joshua Reeves, who is a Philly-based organizer with the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and Black Alliance for Peace. He's also coordinating the National Network on Cuba's 2024 May Day Brigade to Havana. Joshua, welcome to Voices with Vision. Thank you, Brother Craig. All right, so I tried to just give some background, some quick you know, context. Feel free to ex- expand on that. But I know the National Network on Cuba, Black Alliance for Peace, and an organization called Low Country Action has issued a statement condemning AFRICOM airstrikes. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what is the position of these organizations uh, on what's going on? You know, what are the demands and what are some of the most important points being made in that statement? All right, thank you. Yeah, and I think it, it will help to situate this in both the context of the US's war on Cuba and the Cuban revolution and the U.S.'s war and occupation of Africa for the through the United States Africa Command, which is called AFRICOM for short. Um, and just thinking about those thing, two things together, that, that brings us to like the moment we are today where there was an airstrike, uh, a U.S. airstrike in southern Somalia, where, as you said, two Cuban doctors were being held by the group Al-Shabaab. The reports are coming. The report from Al Shabaab is that both doctors were killed in an AFRICOM airstrike. However, the Cuban Foreign Ministry uh, wants to conduct its own official investigation with the support of Kenya and Somalia. Kenya is where the doctors were kidnapped from. And our statement specifically, I'm a member of Black Alliance for Peace. I'm also an organizer with the National Network on Cuba and the Low the Low Country Action Committee. Uh, is a member organization and comrade to us uh, based in South Carolina. And we jointly are condemning the U.S. occupation of Africa through AFRICOM and the U.S. occupation of Cuba through Guantanamo. And we see this kind of violence against Cuban doctors in Somalia as part of a bigger problem of U.S. military intervention into Somalia. And I just want to start there, if that's okay. U.S. intervention into Somalia has been a decades-long problem. I think one of the most notable instances of a U.S. bombing of medical facilities in in Somalia occurred in the 90s under Bill Clinton, where a pharmaceutical lab that was being developed by Somalians was completely destroyed because it was alleged to be holding terrorists. That was later found out to not be the case. The U.S. had quote-unquote faulty intel. But the truth is that civilians were killed and Somalia's progress in developing its own medical sovereignty was stopped. We know also that the U.S. has continued its bombing campaign since then, leading to a record of 100 admitted civilian deaths in 2022. And there are many other cases. Amnesty International uh, investigates this pretty closely. There are many other cases where people who are labeled as terrorists by AFRICOM are later found to be civilians as well with no ties to terrorist organizations. So these drone strikes, the drone strike that happened here against these Cuban doctors is sort of emblematic of the U.S.'s foreign policy in Somalia, which is completely based around bombardment, military attack, and seizure of control of uh, Somalia's, especially Somalia's water resources by the U.S. Navy. And that, just thinking about how that juxtaposes, as you said, to Cuba's foreign policy of medical diplomacy and sending doctors instead of bombs to different countries and countries in need. These two doctors were part of a hundred strong medical mission from Cuba to Kenya. That's a hundred Cuban doctors uh, being sent to Kenya. Cuba has these medical missions all around the world. They send thousands of doctors around the world, as you've as you've stated and alluded to, across the Americas, across Africa, across Asia. And even at the start of COVID, Cuban doctors were sent to Italy to help train Italian doctors. Well, Cuba itself, because of the U.S.'s blockade, because of U.S.'s economic warfare, Cuba wasn't allowed to get ventilators. Cuba was banned from getting ventilators for its most needy patients. So we're just trying to, part of what we're trying to do is put all these things into conversation together, make sure that people understand that the U.S. is attacking an attack here on these, on the Somalian people, on these Cuban doctors is done by the U.S. Uh, and it's also continuous with the U.S.'s occupation of Cuba through Guantanamo Bay. The U.S. should not be occupying Africa in the first place, nor should they be in Cuba at Guantanamo Bay. 
Well, I want to um, just slip in here, too, because, you know, what, what you're talking about there or what you just finished talking about was about Cuba's medical internationalism in, in contrast to U.S. militarism. You know, we know that this is going on, but I want to kind of ask the question. I mean, why does Cuba, a small, uh, struggling island nation that's being choked uh, by U.S. economic warfare, send doctors to so many places that need them, including Kenya? and other places in Africa and uh, on the one hand, and then you have the United States with all its wealth, its might, its power, and it's sending military, it's sending its intelligence apparatus and drones to drop bombs on people overwhelmingly identified as civilians. So why is that? Yeah, thank you. I think think that points to one of the key differences between foreign policy uh, and and Cuba's approach to foreign policy. I want to start, I, I, I think I want to start with the Cuban Revolution. Of course, one of the leaders of the Cuban Revolution, Che Guevara, used medicine as a way to advance internationalism and international politics uh, across Latin America and Africa. But following the Cuban Revolution, Cuba has had a strong uh, tradition and position of international solidarity with the third world. In the 90s, Cuba opened up the Elam Institute, which is the Latin American School of Medicine. It is the largest medical school in Latin America, in the Western Hemisphere, actually, I should say. And this school trains doctors at no cost on the condition that they return back to their home countries, go to other countries to help to serve the poor and to develop medical resources in places that otherwise don't. So I think Cuba and you'll see from statements from the Cuban Foreign Ministry, from Cuban doctors themselves, they they take very seriously this position that this is this is one of the things that uh, to be a moral person one does in life, helping their neighbors, helping people who have helped them. Just as Cuba has supported the decolonization movement across Africa, as Cuba now supports the Palestinian people's fight for justice, we see Cuba as this nation of people who have always strongly taken uh, international solidarity to be something real, something important, and something that they give themselves to. I think more broadly, Cuba has developed an incredibly robust medical system uh, that is almost entirely self-sufficient. And international solidarity also plays a big role into how that how that works. Cuba is, because of the economic warfare imposed by the United States, because of all the tariffs, the sanctions, the blockade, preventing actual medical resources and knowledge from being shared with Cuba, Cuba has had to find its own path towards uh, medical development, and they've done so by reaching into their community. Cuba now has the highest proportion of doctors per capita out of any nation on Earth. Cuban health outcomes are far ahead of the United States. That's to say, even like with the severe resource scarcity, because Cuba develops so many strong doctors with such a passion for community and health for the masses of people, not just for the private uh, sector of people, Cuba's health system is incredibly well developed. And because they believe so strongly in international solidarity, because they've given so much to international solidarity and because like internationalism is a core part of their nation's philosophy, they share that out to the world as well. And this is entirely different from the United States, which has, although presents programs like AFRICOM, presents these military initiatives as beneficial to the host and to the recipient country, it's very clear that this is that the violence that AFRICOM brings onto African nations, the bombings, these campaigns of warfare for the United States only benefit the United States and don't benefit at all the people of these nations. Yeah, and it's like what we're talking about is a stark difference between a socialist imperative versus a capitalist and imperialistic imperative. Socialism, the imperative there being to put the needs of the people first as a priority for the nation and then even beyond that to assist you know other nations other other nations of people whereas with imperialism the goal is like enslavement i mean here you have cuba being denied medical supplies by the united states while cuba itself provides medical personnel and health workers to countries so it's like this difference i just wanted to you know, uh, amplify and bring to the fore, you know, for our listeners, the difference here, you know, uh, of socialism at work and imperialism at work, one supporting life, one 
depriving people of life and freedom. That's exactly right. And if I can just hop in on that point, that's one of, I think, the core contradictions that you can see even internally between Cuba and the United States. To put it into perspective, when Hurricane Katrina happened, uh, as we know, like Cuba is in the Caribbean, it gets hit yearly by hurricanes, often at like stronger velocities than when they make it to the United States. On the year of Hurricane Katrina, I believe that was 2005, after New Orleans was hit, Cuba, despite being the target of economic warfare from the United States, despite having several assassination attempts from the United States towards their head of state, Fidel Castro, Cuban doctors were assembled at the airport ready to deploy to New Orleans to also assist the New Orleans people to bring to rescue people to provide like adequate medical care for people. And the United States is the one who vetoed that idea. George W. Bush vetoed that. And that, as we know, as we saw in the fallout of Hurricane Katrina, that is was a decision that had tremendous consequences for this nation's black people in New Orleans, Louisiana. That's right. And, and then even what you were speaking to about uh, about the medical school, because uh, attendance and acceptance into that school. Also, uh, the invitation uh, has been extended to people here in the United States. In other words, you could go to school, medical school for free and become a doctor trained by Cuba with the as, as you know, with the commitment being made that you're going to serve underserved communities and, and poor people and people who are without adequate medical care. So it just it's like in every sphere of life, you see the differences here between the socialist imperative and the capitalist one. I know I noticed in the statement there is a reference to 3,200 confirmed civilian deaths from drone strikes in just Libya and Somalia alone. And this is a number that was presented in the documents of this organization, Defense Priorities. It's a pro-U.S. military think tank with seemingly, you know, no one that I could see on their website, uh, no people of African descent within the organization. It has a stated mission to promote a realistic strategy to protect U.S. interests. And when we say U.S. interests, we're talking about U.S. imperialist interests. And even they had a paper where they make some some points about from a U.S. now, U.S. imperialist perspective about what is going on in Africa. And I want to I want to just read some of it here. There's a paper this organization put out called overreach in Africa, rethinking U.S. counterterrorism strategy. And this is rethinking U.S. counterterrorism strategy from a still imperialistic standpoint. But even they say that due to an overly broad definition of threat, the United States currently commits far far too many military resources to counterterrorism, especially in Africa. The second point is the United States is pursuing military action against at least 13 terrorist groups in Africa, but only one of those groups has the global reach to be a threat to Americans. Consequently, the U.S. military is fighting a slew of counterinsurgency, not counterterrorism wars in Africa today, a strategy that borders on nation building. And then three, counterintuitively, U.S. security assistance, training, and military activity in Africa since the 2000s has inadvertently aided the growth of terrorist groups in the region. Most concerning, U.S. policy today could be helping to inspire the next generation of global jihadists tomorrow, intent on on attacking the United States and its closest democratic allies. And uh, four, U.S. military activity in Africa has expanded significantly over the past decade and a half, and this trend will likely continue even further without an internet, without an intentional course correction. The potential for further mission creep and overexpansion is high. And the last point being, Washington should wind down direct military activity and close most military bases in Africa while also curbing security assistance to local regimes. Now, just Joshua, I wanted to read that because that was that's from this organization uh, that is a U.S. think tank that comes up with strategies to inform and influence policymakers about how to, uh, I guess, execute a smarter uh, brand uh, and smarter, uh, more efficient form of imperialism. But but those points, though, those points about the United States not really fighting terrorism, but actually actually 
helping to foment more terrorism and more even uh, hatred toward the United States and that type of thing. And also uh, this idea that really what they're up to is uh, nation building or creating and supporting regimes that are going to be favorable to the United States interests, et cetera. What's your, what's your response to all of that? That I'm very glad that you read that out loud because it does seem at first glance, it does seem very contradictory that the U.S.'s would be continue to engender the next generation of quote unquote terrorists if the goal is to actually fight terrorism. But we know in Black Alliance for Peace, uh, our position is that the United States enjoys the role of unipolar controller of the world. It has divided the world into these areas of command. And in doing, in creating new generations of terrorists and in inspiring violence, they actually pre- create the pretext for their own invasion. And to provide another example of this, I think if we look to the Sahel today, Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, we've seen these nations come together to expel France in various different diplomatic ways because they realized, the leadership realized that it was France in the West who was supporting the terrorist forces that they were fighting against. And the reason to do this is resource control. The reason to do this is imperial control, political control, the ability to have a controlled oppositional force that you can arm, that you can strengthen, and that you can always use to weaken the people so that the colonial relationship that the United States maintains isn't undermined, isn't undermined. So that's the connection to me between, of course, the U.S. creates the next generation of terrorists. It has for, I want to say, five decades now. The U.S. has inspired, openly inspired terrorism around the world to undermine uh, people's movements and governments across the third world, especially in Africa. So this is part of a long continuity of U.S. foreign policy and part of the long arm of the United States in Africa. It's using violence and creating terrorism as a means to further oppress the peoples of Africa. And I think that's exactly where the Cuban Revolution and its revolutionary medical international program That's how we see it as part of the anti-imperialist coalition. We see Cuba as one of the Latin American and Caribbean states calling for an international zone of peace in the Americas. And just to understand, there's also United States America command, commands for Latin America, for Europe, for Asia. So understanding that Africa is a region of extreme importance through AFRICOM for the United States to control, the United States is also committing economic and military warfare also inspiring terrorism and violence in Latin America, in Latin American nations. And we, we've known about this for decades as well. That's right. And then I know we're on the same page, too, about, uh, you know, this this term terrorism. Of course, you know, when we speak of terrorism, we're speaking about violence against civilians for some political purpose. But uh, when the United States speaks about terrorism, you know, they're, they're even calling, uh, they apply that to freedom fighters, you know. So the United States has been involved in creating organizations, elevating organizations, training organizations that are actually terrorists uh, that are undermining the people and communities. And uh, at the same time, they're also involved with creating the conditions that lead to revolution and lead to movements uh, for national sovereignty and freedom that they that they then label as terrorists, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah go that's ahead. exactly right. That's it. That's exactly right. The United States has created what it calls its state sponsor on terrorism list, which is incredibly ironic because by the numbers, the United States is the far greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. But it's put Cuba at the top of this list, Cuba, the country that is sending doctors instead of bombs around the world, uh, is at the top of the United States state-sponsored terrorism list. And the the biggest act of terrorism that goes on in Cuba is Guantanamo Bay, the atrocities uh, that the United States commits on Cuban soil illegally on occupied Cuban lands. So I, I just want to say on on this point real real quick, this is why we in the National Network on Cuba encourage people, especially from the United States, to go to Cuba and see the conditions of the Cuban Revolution for themselves, because we've been so propagandized in this country about what terrorism is specifically to be political, as you're saying, political opposition to the United States is con- is like 
paramount with terrorism in this country. That's what people call terroristic is opposing this country's imperialism. So I think just to just to say the National Network on Cuba does a May Day Brigade from April 21st to May 4th. We do want to encourage people to apply to see the Cuban revolution for themselves, see the advances that the medical industry has made that we're talking about and see how such a, an island like this plays such a pivotal role in the anti-imperialist struggle around the world. All right. And I know in, in the statement, National Network on Cuba, Black Alliance for Peace, Low Country Action are uh, making some demands, I think demanding that the United States release all information about the bombing to Cuba and uh, the victims' families. And you mentioned this brigade to to Cuba. How can people uh, get information about that if they are interested in applying? So people can get information about the brigade by going to nnoc.org. It is the National Network on Cuba's 17th May Day Brigade. And yes, to speak to, to the calls to action of the article, we are calling for the U.S. to release all information about the bombing to Cuba and to the victims' families. And we joined the community of Latin American and Caribbean states and the Black Alliance for Peace in calling for an international zone of peace in the Americas. We stand in solidarity with all people facing imperialist violence from Gaza to Guantanamo. And we demand to unblock Cuba. We demand that the U.S. leaves Africa and shut down AFRICOM now. And we demand to let Cuba live. All right. So we're going to have to wrap it up there. We've been speaking with Joshua Reeves, who is a Philadelphia-based organizer with the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and Black Alliance for Peace. He's also coordinating the National Network in Cuba's 2024 May Day Brigade to Havana. Joshua, thank you for being on Voices with Vision. Thank you for having me. Wednesday, February 28th, WPFW celebrates 47 years of speaking truth to power, powered by the people. In celebration and commemoration of those whose shoulders this station stands on, we present Freedom Highway, a salute to SNCC, Dory Ladner, and 47 years of Jazz and Justice Radio. From 5 a.m. until midnight, we will illuminate and interrogate the work and legacy of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the pivotal role many SNCC members played in the creation of WPFW. We will also be honoring one of SNCC's beloved Daughters of the Movement, Dory Ladner. That's Freedom Highway, a salute to SNCC, Dory Ladner, and 47 years of Jazz and Justice Radio. This Wednesday, February 28th, 5 a.m. until midnight. WPFW, Building a Better World, one broadcast at a time. Celebrating 20 years, the new African Film Festival presented by AFI and Africa World Now Project brings the vibrancy of African filmmaking from all corners of the continent and across the diaspora to the DMV at the AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center in downtown Silver Spring from March 15th to the 28th. The festival features 26 films from 16 countries, including three years' premieres and discussions with filmmakers. Explore the diversity of new filmmaking from Africa at the 2024 New African Film Festival. Tickets and full schedule at afi.com forward slash silver. Silver. That's AFI.com forward slash silver or call 301-495-6700, 301-495-6700. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. You're listening to Voices with Vision, the show that's not for the politically faint of heart on your jazz and justice station. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. All right. That was a good one, Brother Craig. I like that. And my man Joshua Reeves really did a powerful job in that interview. Very informative. And, and the, the analysis was spot on. Um, yeah, that was good. Um, and so and then it goes into a whole lot of other stuff that we want to even try to get into this rest of the show. And we're going to open the phone line, too. So but what I want to do, because there was something that. 
uh, that's related the black more black alliance for peace stuff that is related but maybe we i don't know if we covered it i'm going to read a statement by the black alliance for peace um that we just issued on january 5th the beginning of this month um maybe people i don't know if people know about it i don't think we covered it the black alliance for peace u.s out of africa network deplores plans to expand the u.s drone atrocities in west africa and this is a statement we issued on Feb- and I'm, I say we because full disclosure, people know I'm Black Alliance for Peace, but if you're tuned in, you may not, if you're first uh, newly tuned in, you may not know that. Okay, the Black Alliance for Peace and the U.S. Out of Africa Network opposes in the strongest terms the U.S. plans and collusion with West Africa's comprador class to further violate Africa's sovereignty and right to self-determination in the form of three new military drone bases in Ghana, Ivory Coast, and Benin. Further, we condemn the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, and the U.S. Congressional Black Caucus for not publicly renouncing this proposal in particular and the existence of the U.S. Africa Command, AFRICOM, in general. Their silence around this development confirms their complicity and betrayal of pan-Africanism and the interests of the African masses struggling against the ravages of neocolonialism. More U.S. drone bases in Africa spell more violence, vicious anonymity, and collateral damage, quote-unquote collateral damage from drone assassinations. It spells enhanced surveillance capabilities from imperialism to use against any threat to to the neocolonial order. U.S. maneuvering to expand its already massive military drone operations is consistent with the U.S. incessant drive to wage war globally and its militarization of the planet. U.S. drone and airstrikes in Africa have primarily been in Libya and Somalia, and the numbers of confirmed civilian drone uh, civilian deaths from drones has as high as 3,200 in these two countries. And studies have shown these conditions, quote, have inadvertently aided the growth of terrorist groups in the region, end quote. This is what the U.S. proposes now for West Africa. Their clear and disturbing geostrategic implications regarding the countries that they have chosen for these U.S. drone bases. The bases will form a border along the three countries of the Alliance of Sahel States, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. Countries which have been adopting an anti-imperialist disposition. In fact, Burkina Faso's entire southern flank will be surrounded by these drone bases. The last two administrations, as well as members of Congress, have clearly stated in policy declarations, legislation, that the and legislation that the U.S. primary objective in Africa is to counteract the presence and influence of China and Russia in order to maintain its full-spectrum dominance of all regions of the world. This is also consistent with the Global Fragility Act that states that the Biden administration's first sites of focus will be Haiti, Libya, and quote-unquote West African coastal states where the U.S. seeks to place these drone bases. The bases will not be there to end the so-called terrorism of extremism extremists in Africa. They will be there for the U.S. to terrorize the region. It is folly to believe that the settler criminals who rule the U.S. state, who can justify the genocidal assault on Gaza, and who systematically murder, sanction, and attack nations globally to maintain white supremacy and global capitalism, are spending hundreds of millions to quote-unquote fight terrorism in Africa. Rather, an urgent Rather, an urgent effort, quote, I'm sorry, rather than, quote, an urgent effort to stop the spread of al-Qaeda and Islamic State and Islamic State in the region, end quote, according to American and African officials, the U.S. Out of Africa Network contends that this is more likely a contingency plan to preserve drone capabilities in the, in the event of losing their $110 million U.S. drone base in Agadez, Niger. Niger has also recently temporarily suspended the granting of new mining licenses and ordered an audit of the sector, a move that would invariably raise the eyebrows of the U.S.-EU-NATO axis of domination concerned over the future of exploitative access to the mineral resources there, such as uranium. Resource sovereignty runs counter to the true colonialist objectives of U.S. foreign policy. The Black Alliance for Peace and the U.S. Out of Africa 
Network call on all who support African sovereignty to denounce the U.S. latest imperialist moves in West Africa, Western Africa, as well as the neo-colonial African governments and collaborators like the Ghanaian President Nana Akofu Addo, who face to face with U.S. Secretary Anthony Blinken openly begged for the U.S. to violate the sovereignty of the countries in the Alliance of Sahel states. The Black Alliance for Peace and the U.S. Out of Africa Network will continue to expose the puppets of the neocolonialism in Africa and the misleaders masquerading as black representatives in the legislative branches of the U.S. settler state. We maintain that the U.S. and its Western European progenitors are the root cause and primary sustenance for the poverty, displacement, despair, and violence in Africa born from decades of colonialist plunder. Shut down AFRICOM, U.S. out of Africa. So that was the statement by the Black Alliance for Peace and the U.S. out of Africa Network. Well, U.S. out of Africa Network is uh, the organizing arm of the Black Alliance for Peace's U.S. out of Africa campaign for U.S. out of Africa, shut down AFRICOM. And so we issued that February 4th, 5th. And I think it just, uh, you know, is related to what y'all were talking about in, the, in that one way. Uh, and yeah. we do want to open... That's why I'm just saying people people are not generally aware of the extent to which the United States um, is conducting military operations in Africa and uh, is positioning itself to conduct military operations in Africa. Um, you know, we're we're generally unaware of that. And of course, all of this is going on right now uh, mm -hmm. under a democratic president and, and government and has been going on as well under republican uh led u.s government right. and so regardless of these parties africa is a target so let me, let me just say this phone number to get people to weigh in in the time we, remaining time we have 202-588-0893 if you want to call and, and discuss anything we've had so far on this show weigh in if you disagree we'd like to hear you know your disagreement we're going to give people about you know two minutes to get in what you have to say just so we can get as many callers as possible the number to call is 202-588-0893 to weigh in on this you may have it doesn't have to be exactly what we're talking about obviously if you have something that's related to it um you, you we want to hear from you um and so that's kind of it you know, that's where we are with that. You know, one of the things, Brother Craig, I don't know if you knew about this or remember, back in 2020, we had a campaign that was called, it was it was like a pledge thing. Let me see, pull the thing up. It was, and you know, for the, it was around, it was called Demand 2020 Candidates Opposed War and Militarism. And it was for representatives and candidates at every level of government. So it wasn't just federal government and that, it's, these things shouldn't be relocated just to federal government. They should be citywide governments, all that, because as on the local level, when there's gentrification going on, there's buttressing the police, um, and you know, uh, fake concerns over crime and whatnot, um, people don't see the connection between all of these billions and trillions of dollars that are spent to maintain dominance and war and destruction and death, and the neglect. You know the economic and financial neglect of of communities on the ground, and and that you know there's some democracy issues there. If people ain't voting for that, <laughs> you know we will vote for something else. Let me that. But let's we got a couple callers. Let's get right to them. First caller, thank you for calling. Welcome to Voice with Vision. Question or comment? Mr. Freeman, good morning. This is Greg Ford, brother. How you doing? Hey, brother. How you doing? <laughs> the platform. <laughs> Yes, and I also want to give, give a salute to Brother Craig. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview that you did with uh, Brother Joshua Reeves. Um, I have to put that cat on my radar. Uh, I just called to just, you know, to give a shout-out. I appreciate I listening to you guys every Tuesday, just like the promo says. Um, and then also uh, I try to catch up with the stuff that I do miss every now and again online. Uh, and then, Nefa, actually, I I'm going to put you on the spot. I need you to remind me to follow up with you. I'd like to do another, a second interview with you, um, and possibly Brother Craig, uh, just about the Sahel in general, because that's something I think that you know gets lost in the, in, in the shuffle of all this other stuff with Ukraine. Um, if it's not being talked about, something's really happening. You know, um, I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had. So I know there's other callers. I don't want to take up too much time. 
uh, again, I appreciate you guys uh, doing your thing. And uh, you know, I listen every week. Hey, but brother, 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 how do people listen to the platform? The platform podcast. How can they get on it? Oh, I oh, appreciate that, man. So it is the platform talk podcast. If you are a Spotify listener, Apple Podcast, I think it's on maybe seven or eight other platforms. Um, just do a, a, a Google search for it, the Platform Talk Podcast. Some people have a difficult time finding it. If you do the Platform Talk Podcast, you're looking for a little icon with like a bubble man in like a, a powder blue with a black uh, black background. Um, if that doesn't quite work, just add the name Greg Ford, and then um, it should come up. You can also find the podcast through my website, www.theplatform.fyi, where what I do is I curate a lot of stories, mm-hmm. uh, complimentary of the stuff you guys cover, stuff that you're not going to find in mainstream media, and I try to highlight websites, um, and even WPFW, places where people can go uh, to get news and information outside of the mainstream. So I appreciate the, the opportunity for that question, man. Oh, thank you, man. So, Greg Forty, I like when he when interviewed by him, he just has some good questions. So, let's get to the next caller. And then, those of you listening, we open the phone line. Did you did you have something to say? It looked like you. No, no. I'm... Okay. The number to call to weigh in today is two zero two five eight eight zero eight nine three. The next caller, thank you for calling. Voice with Vision. You have a question or comment? Yeah, because they didn't mention Castro's literacy campaign, which was so phenomenally um, successful. Mm -hmm. And a political leader who cares about power doesn't educate their people the way Castro educated the Cubans. And that's my Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's it? Do you want to say a little bit more about the campaign? Are you... I can do it if you want to. Yeah, what they did was they took young people and they called them brigadistas and they literally went door to door handing out literature and ways that people can become educated. We had supported Batista, a dictator, whom Castro threw over and then Castro started educating the people so they could be in control. It's just a great story. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank yeah. you for that. And it's a good, I'm glad you mentioned it. And I know when you, I know when you said we, meaning the U.S. supported Batista, right? And then what had happened, what, what the caller is referring to is in the very, um, the dawn, is it called? The dawn of the revolution. Dawn means when yeah. something's coming, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I'm getting a little old. <laughs> dawn of the revolution. In the early and days. Early days. So, and this is really, we're like, we're talking about, like, I think it's 1960 or 61 or whatever. Right. Uh, Ca- Fidel Castro was addressing the United Nations and made a stunning, you know, claim that we're going to eradicate illiteracy in one year. That's what he they said. Did. Like, in front of, and everybody was like, yeah, right. So what they did was take a whole lot of young people who were, you know, from the the urban areas or wherever you want, different places who who had, you know, who were educated and and to a certain degree, and then dispatched them into the rural areas where there were a lot of illiterate people and whatnot. They brigades they were calling them. They were the literacy brigades. They, were, they called and them brig- brigadistas. Yeah, that's what All they right. say in um, Espanol. So it's um, and they just taught people, elders, whoever, you know, and they just been, they lived with the people. In fact, uh, my friend Catherine Murphy has a really good documentary called Maestra about this. Uh, Maestra means teacher that. in Spanish. And they yeah. just talk about this literacy campaign. And I did that eradicated this literacy. And they were actually the United Nations. Um, uh, I can't remember the body of the United Nations actually confirmed that they had pretty much wiped out illiteracy in the country and now even still you know education is free i mean we talked i think that you all talked about that all the way up to the and so you know people have um they're educated all the way up to the university level and then cuba has one of the highest literacy rates in the world you know That's not just correct. the hemisphere but in the world I mean, it's, we, it's, it's we like should really there. model what they did Mm-hmm. And give them credit for that. Right. And then, like you say, that's not 
something, you know, oppressive groups. I mean, they can be fine with people being ignorant. And then, you know, and if Fidel used to say, so what is it, this right to free speech and all these other things when people don't even have the right to be educated about what they're right. talking about? Right. I'm, I'm no, paraphrasing and, and here. I really but appreciate thank, your program. It's a really good program, but you did not mention the literacy campaign. Yeah, we've done it. Point. We've mentioned it several times on the, we've, we've covered it on the show before. Oh, yeah. But yes, okay. thank you so much for reminding us that. Anybody else? 202 5880893. And we also want to tie this, this militarism in the 1033 program. And so, and then there's the DC crime bill. <laughs> All this stuff related. I call it intersection. They intersect. They intersect. You know. Yeah. They're going to spend money on, you know, like extending pre-trial detentions, all kind of stuff in D.C. Now, D.C. is not the only place they have crime bills. They always have crime bills. And I think we've already discussed this on our show. And, uh, and but. You know, we have these crime bills that are really a response to the deteriorating conditions under capitalism and people's really just reacting and not knowing, you know. And so and then instead of providing people with the basic human needs, like the caller just mentioned, literacy and or anything, health care, basically, because we have, you know, even if people are literate, they still might be you have a, a degree and not be able to get a job and those kind of things happen or be underemployed was referred to as underemployed. You have employment, but you're not making enough to make ends meet. That's what this, you know, and places like Cuba, they will put sanctions, blockade and make so many things difficult and then look point and say, look, you know, socialism doesn't work and all that. It's like I would I would assert I would attest that the Cuba is surviving because of socialism, you know, and other countries, too, under sanctions. It's their ability to plan and redistribute and, and deal with the little that they have you're able to get because of the restrictions by imperialism puts on them that they're able to survive it. If they were a capitalist country, they would be seeing, you know, uninsurmountable poverty and despair and whatnot. And that's where they kind of keep Africa, you know, under the, the, the U.S. and the Western uh, countries benefit from the destabilization of places in like the continent of Africa and, and around the world because they couldn't, if people were able to establish a real people-centered democracy, no one would vote for their resources to be extracted and not, you know, no one would vote for their their land to be used for cash crops and whatnot, not for feeding the you know, the local populations there. Then, you know, people would actually vote for platforms and get these compradors out, and they would be actually able to to meet, but if um be able to meet their needs. But if you know, this is where you know the U.S. is disingenuous. If a revolutionary, when revolutionaries come to power. They will overthrow that person. They will claim all kind of stuff, you know. And so this is what we're facing here. And we have to do something about it. And, and it's got internal, what we call domestic implications. Same thing here. Somebody comes in this country talking about, hey, we need to have universal health care. We need to do get rid of the military and, and spend that money. The military misspending and spending on human needs. They're going, you know, right now they have That's all right. kinds of. We need, uh, you know, political education that, that mm-hmm. you know, the, the people need to be work uh, on and cont- and be continually involved with political education because this socialism is raised as some kind of a specter, you know, uh, a monster. But then we see in this example, like the caller uh, brought up this literacy campaign. Now, here you have a, 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 a small Caribbean island nation with profoundly high rates of illiteracy uh, under a uh, dictator, U.S.-supported dictator, Batista, being overthrown, and then the socialist revolutionary leader saying, we're going to eradicate it, right? Um, So that's what we need to, uh, you know, think about, and that is, you know, what Mm -hmm. is socialism really? The elevation of the people's needs and priorities over that of uh, individual, mm-hmm. you know, corporate profits. And the same thing applies to all of these things, the crime bill, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. So I know I know we're having to wrap yep. it up. That our time is running out. All right. So, yeah, stay tuned for Crossroads with Roach Brown. And if you're not fighting for the liberation of your people, fall back. Fall back. 
We lace music with codes, just something to bring us closer. Kick true, the young black youth like we supposed to. No swine in our rovers or Louis Vuitton hosters. We in the trench with young 50 cents and street soldiers. The ones they ain't lock up and send the foreign waters to fight for something they ain't got in their own borders. It's us, the free unit, they ain't holding us back. We just caught a soundtrack to this movement. Y'all just rap, brat, black on black, and clap about that. Celebrating 20 years, the new African Film Festival presented by AFI and Africa World Now Project brings the vibrancy of African filmmaking from all corners of the continent and across the diaspora to the DMV at the AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center in downtown Silver Spring from March 15th to the 28th. The festival features 26 films from 16 countries, including three years' premieres and discussions with filmmakers. Explore the diversity of new filmmaking from Africa at the 2024 New African Film Festival. Tickets and full schedule at afi.com forward slash silver. That's afi.com forward slash silver. Or call 301-495-6700. 301-495-6700. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. This Wednesday, February 28th, WPFW celebrates 47 years of speaking truth to power, powered by the people. In celebration and commemoration of those whose shoulders this station stands on, we present Freedom Highway, a salute to SNCC, Dory Ladner, and 47 years of Jazz and Justice Radio. From 5 a.m. until midnight, we will illuminate and interrogate the work and legacy of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the pivotal role many SNCC members played in the creation of WPFW. We will also be honoring one of SNCC's beloved Daughters of the Movement, Dory Ladner. That's Freedom Highway, a salute to SNCC, Dory Ladner, and 47 years of Jazz and Justice Radio. This Wednesday, February 28th, 5 a.m. until midnight. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. Still, it's a real good bet, the best is yet to come. Hi, this is Robin Holden, the proprietor of Robin's Place. Every Friday evening from 7 until 10 p.m., Robin's Place is a mythical entertainment center consisting of four floors. On each floor of Robin's Place, we have rooms that are named after people who I think are icons in music, theater, and literature. We have the Nancy Wilson Room, the Joe Williams Room, the Gloria Lynn Room, the Frank Sinatra Room, the B.B. King Blues Room, the James Baldwin Library, just to name a few. Join me Friday nights from 7 until 10 p.m. as I take you on a musical journey you'll never forget. Robin's Place. Come the day you're mine. I'm going to teach you to fly. Code Pink Women for Peace is coming to you live from Washington, D.C. and New York City, Thursday at 11 a.m. Code Pink Radio is an energizing new program focused on ending wars and militarism and building a peace economy. Listen weekly to robust conversation and inspiration from grassroots peacemakers from places like Korea, Yemen, Venezuela, Palestine, and Iran, as well as peacemakers in our nation's capital who are confronting war hawks in the White House and in Congress and modeling the actions we want our government to take. Again, that's Code Pink Radio, Thursdays at 11 a.m. on Washington, D.C.'s WPFW and New York City's WBAI, an engaging hour of cutting-edge conversation not to be missed. We are women of the world. We're from the east, south, north, and west. This is Rev Yearwood, and I am so excited to announce our new climate show, Think 100% Climate Friday. This show will keep you up to date on everything climate justice related in a rapidly changing world. We will discuss breaking news and updates on environmental issues, the climate crisis, COVID-19, and politics. This show will make tangible how the climate crisis is already impacting our lives and what you can do about it 